0: Boston University I don't to say that. <laughs> he's been through the training school he's, he's, he's served in multiple ways in the library community and he's living the dream he's one of those people that does not feel guilty at world mandate <laughs> uh, I do i am going the rest his chance please <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's not going oh do I do this or not oh, oh, oh. you know he's like I'm in we're doing it <laughs> and he's been in, in North Africa For uh, seven eight. eight years I have a good authority He's one of the best Arabic speakers In the area And that's, uh, that's just saying One of the reasons why he developed his skills in language is because he went over as a single um, yeah. And so he got deeper immersion Into the culture By living with families By interacting He did a deep dive which gave him very good linguistic skills. And, uh, but also he's, uh, he's gifted uh, strategically. And so uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching this man develop in the fullness of, of God's gifting and calling on his life. And so excited about that. And uh, I just want to tell you, he's got authority this morning, so I said, let it rip, John." Anybody agree with me on that? John. Give it to us. These people are saying, Give it to me. All right. Everything you've got. No, you want him to hold back today? You want him to, like, oh, you know, I don't want to hurt these people's feelings. I want to say this in a nice way. Lord Jesus, give him awareness of the authority that you've given him. That it would be a word that divides between soul and spirit, joint and It exposes our hearts to God in a deep way. And invests the purpose of your kingdom in our hearts freshly today. Mm -hmm. Give us that transfer, Holy Spirit. Bless my brother, Jesus. Amen. Thanks,
1: Mark. I need to listen to that introduction when I get up every morning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, I have some words of life to speak over you as a church before I get started. And... uh, Drove in from out of town, uh, outside the state. And I don't actually go to this church. For the last eight years, I've been living in Africa, so I don't I don't really go to this church. But I got here early, real early, at 8 a.m., and there were seven or eight cars in the parking lot. And I go to prayer, and uh, and there were probably 12, 15 people at prayer, and they were ready to go. Coffee in hand,
0: you know, running, them,
1: you know. And, uh, and the setup crew and, I, and the band getting ready, and I just... I just want to say that CFCF is a place where people really love to serve God. Like, and no one was like, duh, I the again. You know, just, There was a spirit of joyful service, a spirit of, man, we're so excited for church. We're so excited for church. Not because of the worship, not because of this lamo speaker today, but because Jesus is here. And we believe that the church matters. It matters beyond Sunday morning. It goes to the farthest corners of the earth. It affects the poor, it affects the needy, it affects the nations. So we believe church is something big, and I felt that this morning uh, when I was with um, everyone who came early to church. Uh, another thing that I'm going to talk about before I really get rolling is uh, is that CFI is doing a lot. So if this is your first Sunday at CSCF, or maybe you, your first Sunday in a while at CSCF, we as a church are part of this bigger idea uh, where we planted a church in Waltham. We, we planted a church in Tempe. We planted a church on the North Shore, and all these churches are part of a larger thing where we send missionaries around the world, right? And so I wanted to let you know what we're doing. It says you know Paul says none of this was done in a, none of this was done in a corner. Our church planting was done in the open, and we can all celebrate that. So our team is in North Africa. We're, we're working with Arabs and Berbers, speaking almost exclusively Arabic, working to plant churches, working with nationals. We have a team in Indonesia, Danny and Lisa, and they're working with this people group I can't say on stage, but man, if they were to just get this people group with the gospel, it would be such a win, the entire Asian subcontinent. We have a team in Freedomland. I'm not even going to say their names. You guys know who they are. And I want to say about them that, that when I talk to other missionaries from other organizations, and they realize that I got to go to church with them, and like that I'm kind of connected with them in the organization, they're like, I get major street cred just, <laughs> just for being associated with them and the work that they're doing. We have uh, we have some people in India. So we've got Cassidy Kersey on staff with the Bangalore Training School. Awesome work they're doing preparing, uh, preparing missionaries for the nations in the nations. Uh, and we also have uh, Brianna Yacobeda from the Harbor, who is uh, going to be working in Europe this summer, and then she's going to be uh, hopefully launching to northern India to reach some unreached people groups. And we have Amy Miller. Stand up. Yay! Amy Miller. So Amy Miller is just getting the batteries charged to launch out to Cambodia. And she and she's like, oh, church planting seems too easy. We're going to do holistic church planting. So Amy Amy's going to work with national pastors and believers in Cambodia. She's going to plant churches with her team. And she's going to work with the same people to address injustice and poverty and other issues in Cambodian society and they just the same way that we as a church here we care for the poor we love those with major problems and we're getting them to think of it in a mess in our society Amy's going to plant a church like that in Cambodia, in Jesus name <coughs> and also too that uh, she doesn't get left out Dale Storzbach a handful of people anyone go Dale Storzbach she's, she's serving the Lord at the Black Forest Academy uh, serving the children of missionaries around the world okay that's a lot going on but I want to say that it's only the first fruits of what God has wanted to do with the church here I think we need to stand in that place and be like oh my gosh, we have people in freedom land we need to think about that and get excited we need to think, man, we're reaching the bridge people in Indonesia this is for real and then we need to think, but what could God do? what else could God do? what other places? right? And as we expand what we're doing here in the U.S., as we reach other places in New England, other places in the U.S., those are going to be launching pads for other people to be sent to the nations in Jesus' name. Alright. Can I have my first slide up, dude? Oh, not that slide.
0: Okay. Alright.
1: Oh. oh. We'll get to that in a minute, don't worry. <laughs> <clears throat> so Psalm 110 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit in my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty supper from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the rule of the God, you will receive the do of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his body. You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. Now I'll admit, this is not your standard missions passage. But we're going to dig right in. Jesus himself quotes this passage when he's trying to explain to the Pharisees what it means for him to be God. The writer of Hebrews quotes this passage over and over and over again in order to explain how Jesus has the authority to forgive sin, make us right with God. And I'm going to use this passage today to talk about how we're all a part of God's great commission. Right here in verse 3, it says, Your troops will be willed on the day of battle. A in holy majesty from the womb of the dove." Now the NASB describes it this way, saying, On the day of your power, your, your people will volunteer willingly. Mm. Your people will volunteer willingly on the day of your power. And that's what we're going to do as a church. Everybody. We're going to volunteer willingly on the day of battle. On the day of God's power. I'm about to get excited about Jesus. (laughs) Let's bring up Matthew 28. Okay, good. (laughs) Alright, Matthew 28 says this. Jesus is about to go up into heaven. And he says... All the in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Now look at the similarities that pop out between this and Psalm 10. You know, David wrote Psalm 110, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is on the scene, But Jesus is rising up again to sit at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and on earth. In the same way that Jesus' disciples and followers are gathered with him when he goes up to heaven, he's
0: standing in heaven and he's got this arm in holy array before him.
1: And he extends his scepter to do what? He sends his scepter to rule over nations. And he sends his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And so as we bring these two passages together, I wanted to address an assumption that I think sneaks in whenever we do World Band A Monday weekend and whenever we preach on missions. And you know, it's, it's a sneaky assumption. We assume that the Great Commission is really about full time missionaries. Because we bring in Jim tells us about full-time missions. And we bring in into our box, and he tells you about full-time missions. Right? I mean, it's not a illogical assumption, but we're assuming that the Great Commission is really a Great Commission for people who do this as their full-time job. For people who are going to leave one place and leave their job and become full-time, on-staff, paid, supported missionaries. But the prophecy that David wrote about Jesus is that your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Really what we're looking for is an army of volunteer servants that are con- going to complete the Great Commission. And so some of you, some of you might be called to full-time missions, like I was, like other people. And if that's you, man, you better not hedge your bets. I mean, do not hedge your bets. Do not take your hands off the plow. Go for it. Do it. But if that's not you, let me, just, let me just take that weight on your shoulders that stresses you out and chuck you. It's not helping you do anything. You feel guilty about not being a missionary, in Jesus' name. Okay? So I believe that the Great Commission can only be accomplished by an army of volunteer servants, the entire church mobilized and empowered to reach the nations. And one of the things that makes me believe that is just mathematics. Are there any math majors? 200 people know math majors? Okay, we've got three embarrassed math majors. Okay. Alright, someone needs to preach on math next week. Um, the mathematics of the world. So, in my nation, our goal is to reach 33 million Arabs and Berbers. 33 million. Now, if I was going to go after them one by one by one by one,
0: you know, say on a we
1: week I could do one a day and really get the gospel with some level of relational connection. One a day. Mm, give or take 90,000 years <laughs> 90,000 years I better have really good health insurance
0: <laughs> and,
1: and the thing is adding another thousand full time missionaries to my nation is not going to solve the problem because if we want to expand the gospel in my nation we want to reach the last village the last tribe last family what we really need to do is raise up a local church where people have 9 to 5 jobs and they disciple other people with 9 to 5 jobs and they reach the unreached places and they do it together that's what I want to do as a full time ministry, a full time missionary is to find that to establish that and to release that in my nation so God is looking for plumbers He's looking for traffic cops and lunch ladies. He's looking for actuaries. Everybody's involved. Because the Great Commission, the final mile, the final inch, is going to be completed by everybody together. Not missionaries. Now I want to talk about a second assumption that we make. I think sometimes we glorify... Having left careers. So I had a career. I was on my way into graduate school. But you know what? I would have been terrible at that. I would have just been awful. I mean, praise God that I didn't go to graduate school. You know, I would have been like tipping over beakers everywhere. It would just have been a disaster. I really, you know? Uh, so you're we over glorified as leaving your career, leaving your, your home, leaving your awesome stuff you have in America. And, uh, and part of that is that we say if I were really going to serve God in the nations, it would mean quitting my job and leaving my career forever. But I think I want to bring a few more dimensions to this. I want to bring a little bit of subtlety to that same question. And say that maybe God might not ask you to abandon your career. Maybe God would ask you to risk your career. What do I mean by that? Let me give you the example of my wife, Lila. Raise your hand if you know Lila. And I remember after Lila had been at CFCF for two years and I had been in Africa for two years, I came back here and everyone was like, oh, you you must be Lila's old boyfriend. And I was like, eh, <laughs> and CFI, I can see if I you know, doing stuff in North Africa. And, uh, and uh, she, she had such an influence in this church during the time she was here. And uh, one of the things I want to tell you about it is that, that before marrying me or dating me was really even on the horizon, she was working as an executive at this NGO in Boston. And uh, and she, she called the board together and she said, hey guys, uh, i am giving you six-month notice. You're going to need to find a new director because your current director is going to move to Africa. And so she was risking her job, risking her career, saying, oh, I'm going to go to Africa. And she was initially attending to go to West Africa find another opportunity there to work with an NGO and instead she moved to North Africa and worked with us and our team we got married yes took a major risk I mean she was in I mean she was really in an incredible position and she took a major risk leaving her job but her goal wasn't to just abandon her career her goal was to risk it so when she went to North Africa she immediately started looking for another job because that place as an executive and NGO was the ultimate place for her of influence and service in God's kingdom. It wasn't second best for her. That was number one for her. That was God's call for her. And when you think about her, pray that God would give her an opportunity again to stand in that place in North Africa. I want to give you the example of Kelsey Yarnell. Raise your hand to do BC. Man, I hope that Kelsey got her down over because we're all in a big way. So Kelsey, BC student, grew up Catholic, not following God, gets involved in faith. Wow, this Jesus stuff is pretty interesting. Decides she's in it. I'm in it. I'm going to follow Jesus. She begins to be a disciple, Begins really growing in the Lord. Graduates from college, does a training school. Ends up out in California again. And the Lord called her to come to North Africa. And she bootstrapped her way there. I kid you not. She, she contacted us and she said, Hey, I want to come work with you. And we're like, okay, what do you want to do? She's like, pretty much got it. And so she put herself through this English language training program in the south of our country for three months. While we weren't even there. We were, we were somewhere else while she did that. All totally alone in, in Africa. And then she moved up to our city and got herself a job. Teaching English. She's got a job teaching English, and she's also learning Arabic. And so after two years, her Arabic was slamming good. And she starts discipling young women in Arabic, in French and in English. She starts sharing the gospel a ton, and people come to faith. A bunch of people come to faith, right? And the story that comes to my mind when I'm talking about how people with nine to five jobs can reach every place in the world is when Kelsey, who has a job, is discipling this young woman who's a full-time student, and they, they get a phone call from a friend of ours, the missionary. He says, hey, this friend, this friend, that man seemed really open to the gospel, she lives in her city. So they call her up, they meet her in the cafe, they begin sharing the gospel with her together, sharing their testimonies, together. And this girl comes to the Lord. So then what do they do? Well they go together and baptize her in the Mediterranean. Okay? why is this important? Yes, it's cool that someone came to the Lord. Yes, it's cool that they got baptized and want to follow Jesus. But what's really cool is that someone with a 9-to-5 job discipled someone who's a full-time student and together they led someone to the Lord. And if we can do that, we can reach 33 million people. Okay? And if it's true of North Africa, it's true of Boston. Because so that's a reproduction that can be sustained. The goal is not to put the whole body of Christ on full-time support. <laughs> That was not intended as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude, can you give me Matthew twenty-eight again? <laughs> all right, Matthew twenty-eight. Then Jesus came and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always." even to the end of the age. One of the interesting questions we need to ask is who is Jesus talking to? Who is he addressing with these words? We use the word great commission. Well, what's a commission? So there's a, there's a couple of people probably who have been officers in the military in this room. I was talking to David Bowen earlier. Right? When, when you become an officer, you stand in formation with other soldiers, and your commanding officer commissions you and inducts you into the military. And it's that moment in which you become a part of what is really happening. You're not a trainee, you're in it. That's what a commission is in that sense. And so this military image, yeah, that drops right out of Psalm 110, right? Your troops are not really let take a battle, you know? Your people volunteer for this military expedition. They stand before you and pull your away, right? I want, to, I want to break from that metaphor. Because in this passage, Jesus is talking to his best friends. And not just the twelve. All of his best friends. I mean, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, you know, Jesus, you got to come out. What are you doing? And he says, who are my mother my, my brothers really? And they're the people who are willing to go with me and do it. People who are willing to live my words. Right? So the people Jesus is speaking to, they're his best friends. They're the people he really, really cares for in the world. The people who stuck with it when everyone else walked away from his teaching. They're the ones who stuck with it when he was was captured by the temple guards. They're the ones who stuck with him when he was crucified and put in the grave. And they're the ones who were still around when he came back to life and proved that he was God. And so he gives his great commission to them. It was an invitation. For the people he cared most about in the whole world to be a part of what he cared most about. So let's take another look at this passage. What does it really say? That's what he's saying. So Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and on earth." He's about to go up to the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, "I have the power to see this through." Don't worry. Power in heaven, I've got Power on earth, I've got So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And in the same way that he stretches out his scepter, he rules over nations. When we make disciples of every nation, we're bringing them under the authority and the love of God. And he's saying, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Baptize them baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I want you to include them in this fellowship and love that we have together. In this family that we made out of the people of God, I want you to baptize them so that they can be a part of that family too. So that what we share here on this hilltop, they can have it too. He says, teach them all that I have commanded you. He's not saying, make sure they told the line. He's saying, everything good I gave you, give them, make sure they have it too and his promise is I'm with you always always there's no place you can go that I won't be there until the end of the world can you picture it can you picture yourself standing with that group of people you might think of yourself as as one of the twelve disciples or you might think of some dude who Jesus knew growing up some guy he met along the way he was so attracted by his teaching that he insisted on being there. Alright, now I want to address another assumption. That we as Westerners, especially Northeasterners and New Englanders, um, we have the assumption that whatever we do, if it's something big, we better do it as an individual. And if we want to do something heroic, it'd better be done as an individual. So do me want my first slide? What do Americans think, you know, what are we going to do? Okay, okay. here's Jason Ball. You know? One man army. Nothing stops him. He doesn't even he doesn't even know who he is. He he, he, he can defeat anyone. Totally alone. Okay. Right? Next one.
0: Yeah, James Bond.
1: He doesn't even break a sweat, you know? His suit is still included after he, he beats up 50 guys. Okay? James Bond. what's the next one? <laughs> right now, Mr. B. Even even our comic heroes who are intending to be idiots. <laughs> have to do it alone. It's true. Our society you can take that slide (laughs) over. Our society overwhelmingly implies that the individual should overcome alone. And that whatever great task is set before us we have to say yes to it alone and then we have to do it alone. But I would submit to you that um, the overwhelming story of the New Testament is people doing it in community. I mean, there's one Pope Paul, I think he's in Athens and he says, I
0: couldn't stay.
1: The door was open for me for effective ministry, meaning God opened the door for, for effective ministry. But he said, I couldn't stay because he was waiting for his friend. So important to him was this community of doing missions together, that he wasn't willing to jump into this hoop that was obvious right in front of him let's take the example of Saul and Barnabas so the people of Antioch get together and the reason we are naming Antioch's believers is that this is what we want there's a community of believers they gather together they love each other and they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes and he says set apart for me Saul and Barnabas right interestingly the passage doesn't actually say that he said that to Saul or Barnabas the community came together and they identified these two people and then they sent them out again in community. So I want to submit to you that the Great Commission is about saying yes in community. It's about doing it in community. And so when we have World Mandate weekend and we're like, oh man, the nations, right? There have been a lot of things given to you to process to wonder about, to consider, think about your future. But I really invite you that when you ask those questions, ask those questions with your family ask those questions with your kids with your wife ask those questions with your faith group with your faith group leaders ask the questions with your best friend I want to submit to you in the same way that this community of people came together in prayer and bam ministry happened God appointed some people and they were sent out think in the same way as prayer is being stirred up more and more. I know Mark spoke on prayer last week. That Prayer is the place where a lot of that happens. Anybody know that it stinks to pray by yourself? Man, it's, it's terrible. I don't know if y'all have had to do it a lot. But when you're really, really interceding for something, I mean, I've had this experience. Even if the other person praying with you does not speak a language that you speak, it helps so much. It does. So as we come together in communities, we're asking how we're involved. Pray. Don't try to pray alone. Pray with other people. For goodness sake. And as I think about my own story, how did I really even end up in the issues? You know, I think a bigger piece of it than comes across had a lot to do with the faith group I was a part of in college. So I went from being a, a lukewarm believer to leading a faith group, I don't know, four months? <laughs> the, Lord was, the Lord was cooking them pretty fast, you know, He had a spiritual microwave going on at that time. And, uh, and so, that, so they put me in uh, a faith group with June Moran, who was there in the back, and uh, who had been the Bible, former Bible quiz of champion of marriage. I when people say that, probably. <laughs> So you've got this dude who just four months ago was in a car lifestyle. You've got the Bible Quest champion. We have, um, we have Mike Basile who was just, I mean, he was Mr. Cool. I remember. Just he was, anyway. And then we had Sam Sell and the, the four of us all got together and we prayed our hearts out. I mean, we had this commission to reach our campus and we prayed our hearts out. I mean, we fasted. We wept with each other. We went everything with a pulse to our faith group. and we would, we would make phone calls of somebody I'd never met before I'd, I'd get their name wrong and I'd say hey I'm so sorry can you just come to our faith and we really like you <laughs> okay no shame right and God did something I will never forget God did something I will never forget and when we really gave ourselves to it as full time students man God showed up he did something beautiful he raised up people that we never could have found you know they became a part of God's kingdom. Ashley Masiac was in Morocco right now serving the Lord. Came to the Lord through our, through our BU faith group, right on BU campus, right? And so I want to submit to you that faith group has more to do with finishing the Great Commission than you would think. You might not even like your faith You might not even like your faith group. You might not like And all he ever talks about is the beatitude. You might not really even like your faith group. But I'm telling you, that if we really give ourselves to community in prayer and in going for it, faith groups can finish the Great Commission. Amen. Okay, I remember Joy and Travis's college patron. Right, Travis was a grad student at Gordon Conwell. Joy was the tutor who supposedly slept four or five hours a night every night. Okay? They're busy people. And they started this faith group in their home. And I remember this was a faith group that shared the gospel in a big way, and then they baptized people in their bathtub, and they discipled them in the maturity in the Lord. Okay? That's something a faith group can do. I remember our own faith group at BU, when we, we split into two, multiply. And my co-leader at that point was Lisa Neargard. Man, miss Lisa being in Boston. Lisa Neergar. And, and we were waiting, Lord, what do we want to do this year our faith group? We felt like the Lord, one of the things the Lord said was, Pray that your faith group will be as diverse as the campuses it is a part of. And so we said, oh, would you do it, God? Would you make our faith group as diverse as this campus? And he did, and went beyond it. He answered that prayer to us. That's something that a faith group can do. Who remembers the Fidelis faith group? Right? Come on. We stretched ourselves across ethnic, cultural, and linguistic barriers, and we planted a faith group that mattered and reached people and shared the gospel. And who, knows, who remembers the Gordon College faith group? Do you know what it's called now? It's called the Harm. Okay? Now, the, I'm getting chilled by my spine, okay? Faith groups can do scary things, okay? Now, there were, you know, there were six to eight people, leaders and members of this faith group at Gordon College, and they planted a church. So God called Neil and Neil to get involved. He was the poor person for really seeing the church blossom and establish. But that church was planted by a handful of people who laid their lives down for their city. They commuted an hour to church for goodness sake. Let me never complain about my 30 minute commute today. Okay? (laughs) But I'm telling you, if faith groups can reach across culture, they can reach across race. If faith groups can reach across languages if faith groups can plant churches then your faith group strange as it may seem to you is capable of the Great Commission and I pray that the Lord would give us the opportunity to go for this in community that we'd, that we'd go out to the nations in community and that we'd send out to the nations in community that we pray asking the Lord to do it in community Now, as we close, I just want to bring one more image to you. So I, I, I asked some of the prophetic uh, people who were involved here at CFCF um, to wait a little more. What does God have to say to us as a church about the Great Commission? And uh, the picture that they gave was, was to say this, that CFCF at times can be a community that's worn and thin, stretched through time. I mean, going to college in Boston is not a joke. There's a, lot, there's a lot to do, a lot of deadlines, a lot of midnight candles burning. Raising a family is no joke. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. And being involved in CSF, man, your time, your time is being stretched. Your energies are being stretched. And we're involved in careers, especially in Boston. We're involved in careers that demand so much. So we're, we're, we're at times, a community that's rubbed thin, stretched tight. And the way of responding right I want to give you this morning is not another ask. I felt, you know, they, they, we felt as we went on the Lord with these other people just, God is not giving you another ask today. In Jesus' name, be free. God is not giving you another ask and another demand. He's not trying to take another bite out of your wallet or your calendar. You're so free right now, okay? There's none of that happening. But what, the picture that, um, that those who wait on the Lord um, for the sermon, really felt like was that it, it's going to be like the loaves and the fishes. You know, and the loaves and the fishes is a miracle. They, they brought their tiny resources to Jesus. And they said, You can have this. You know, this is all we've got. How's this? And they knew it was to be 5,000 people. You know? you know, they were going to be me a math major, like two people hiding in a congregation, okay? <laughs> the loaves and the fishes was not enough. The resources were obviously inadequate. But the way they responded was to give what they had to Jesus with real faith. And it was the faith behind what they did, the faith behind what they gave. That's what made it work. I mean, Jesus can do a miracle when we don't believe it. What we see in the miracle of the loaves and fishes was that they gave what they had to Jesus in humility and with real faith. And there was a miracle. 5,000 people had something to eat. There were 12 baskets of food left over. And so as we enter into our response time, and anyway, going to be like for us. You know? We might not need to quit our job, but whatever it is that we are to give, to commit, you know? It's not just a letter of, like, God taking a bite out of our life. Just give whatever's in your heart to give, you know? Be a part, however it is in your heart to be a part. And receive that invitation as one of Jesus' best friends. You know? There are no draftees in God's kingdom. In Jesus' name. Okay? <laughs> No gets shame high into serving the Lord. We're included in the Great mission because we're some of Jesus' best friends. And when he comes to rule over the nations, when he extends his scepter and his authority goes all throughout the earth in every place, every people group, every language. Our way to participate is that we're making disciples. We're getting involved. And we don't have to do it as a one-man army. We can do it in community in prayer, and in taking risks together. And in the same way that we believe we can reach North Africa, that we can plant churches of people with normal jobs and careers who disciple other people, and they reach new areas, we ask in Jesus' name that the community of faith right here today, Lord, would you give us that power? But would you make our faith groups something extraordinary? God, would you make our friendship something extraordinary? Would you make our family something extraordinary? Lord, as you reach out your scepter and rule over every nation, would you let us be a part of it?